welcome back to the Go For Two podcast. I'm Liam, your host. And this week, unfortunately, we're not joined by Patrick. He is currently printing many Super Bowl-related jumpers and T-shirts for all you Eagles and Chiefs fans. Uh, so we have a very, very special guest all the way from the Irish NFL show. It is Colin Cronin. Colin, how are you doing? Very well, thanks, Liam. Delighted to be joining you and uh, always enjoy chatting football. So looking forward to it as obviously we build up to the season finale next weekend. And uh, we're getting to that window, that seven, six, seven month window. We're all just sat there kind of on Twitter for football news, but no, no actual games, unfortunately. Um, plan today, we're going to briefly talk about the Super Bowl at the end of the episode, but we've got uh, two full preview episodes coming on Wednesday and Friday. Um, so keep your ears out for that. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit of off season, um, get Cobb's views on the game as well. And then also talk about maybe what he's going to be doing in Arizona whilst he waits to see, hopefully, Patrick Mahomes win another Super Bowl. Um, first of all, though, uh, for anyone who doesn't know you, you are part of the Irish NFL show, but you are also a Denver Bronco fan. So we can't not start the episode talking about the Denver Broncos. Obviously, big trade for Sean Payton, um, arguably one of the best coaches in the last 10 years. I know he had some issues before that with uh, some certain uh, bounty gate related scenarios, but he is a top coach, one of the best offensive minds. What were your views when that news flashed across your timeline? Yeah, I mean, look, it, it has been um, tough sledding in Broncos country ever since uh, Super Bowl 50. And, and in even that year, the offense was on the decline 2013. The, the high point remains the, the high water mark for offenses in the NFL, but uh, a very, you know, a decade of declining offense ever since then. Peyton, it makes sense. I mean, I I will be honest. I was more intrigued by D'Amico Ryan's. I just think there's a lot about him, and um, an up and comer with something to prove. I yeah. think that now that said, your own Chiefs. I mean, look at uh, and Andy Reid and like what he has done and the lessons he learned from his time in Philadelphia. So Peyton can work out, um, and I. I I suppose, given the fact the last three head coaches of the Broncos have all been rookie head coaches, um, mm. it, it tells you that their process was all wrong. And I don't think they were going to go down the rookie head coach route again. Um, but it, it, make, it means that it's an enormous season for Russell Wilson next year because yeah. everything was kind of laid at um, Nathaniel Hackett's feet. Um, but now, as you said, Sean Payton has come in, a history and track record of success. So that escape valve for Russ in terms of criticism, that disappears now. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to say, when you look at the contract as well, it's like two seasons, isn't it? I know it's a, in terms of the, the overall deals, three or four years left, but they can cut him after two years. So it does feel like they're going to have this two-year window together. It's him calling the plays, obviously Russ running the plays, and then see what they can do on offense. I do think that was the main factor as well in the difference between some fans wanting Peyton and some fans not. I just think Broncos fans maybe don't want to go back down the route of a DC-type head coach. They wanted that offensive mind that's not going to leave in a year. Because we all know that if you hire a good young offensive coordinator, they have a great year with Russ, that coordinator's gone, and then Russ probably has to start again. Whereas at least now you know... Sean Payton's going to be there for, I think it's a five-year contract as well, isn't it? But um, what were your views on giving up the those picks? Because it's a first, I think it can be a second, can't it, depending on stipulations. Do you think that's too much for a coach or or is it fine for you? I, I think given who Sean Payton is, 
that makes sense, right? Get, um, this is a guy who has won a Super Bowl. His teams were always, almost always competitive, um, generally uh, exceeded expectations. The The issue, of course, is the fact that what the Broncos gave up in the Russell Wilson trade. And that's yeah. where people, I think, are factoring that in. So I think if you look at it in isolation, it's it's fine. It's not bad at all. Ultimately, it was trading Bradley Chubb in many respects for Sean Payton. I think anyone across the league would ultimately decide to do that. <laughs> but the issue is everything that has gone before it that is still impacting the Broncos. So essentially you're you're talking about, you know, a, another year of not picking in the, the first. And realistically, the Russ contract, I mean, I think most people understood the Russ trade okay even even people who felt maybe the Broncos gave up a little too much I think most people thought the trade could work and yeah. I, I will say there were people like Mike Sando who were kind of sounding the alarm a little bit but overall most people were like that'll work but it was the contract that's the real issue there yeah. was no need for them to do the deal when they did it and and that's ultimately what could prove to be the albatross around the franchise's neck yeah, I agree. I think part of that as well with the new ownership group, isn't it? It's just they have a hell of a lot of money. The rumours are Sean Payton's going to be the highest paid coach in the NFL. I know people don't like to talk about con- coaches' contracts and Bill Belichick is rumoured to be on a hell of a lot of money. But now the rumours are that Payton's going to be going to be paid even more. So, yeah, yeah, we'll see. There was even rumours on the day. I'm not sure if this has been proved wrong because I know Schefter and Rappaport had different reports. But the GM may have wanted... Uh, D'Amico Ryan's over Sean Payton. I'm not sure from your your end, speaking to Broncos people, if you've heard different, or is that the case, what you've heard? Yeah, I think that was very interesting, right? Because I don't know if we have ever seen the, the two big NFL insiders kind of disagree so vehemently. So yeah. it was uh, Rappaport who came out and said, no, the Broncos made a real push to get um, D'Amico Ryan's and they were still in, in touch with him. And then all of a sudden, Schefter comes out like 10 minutes later. It's like, no, nonsense. <laughs> they, that, that wasn't the case. But I will say, right, um, and, and some Broncos fans might like this, Schefter did the exact same sort of stuff last year where he said, oh, Russell Wilson? No, the Broncos always wanted Russell Wilson. They weren't interested in Aaron Rodgers. Not at all. It was always Russ for the, the Broncos. And I, and I think we now all are well aware that Nathaniel Hackett was hired purely to kind of act as a bait for Aaron Rodgers, and then that didn't work out. So given that we have seen it play out previously, who do you, which story would you um, believe I know which story Bron- a lot of Broncos fans will want to believe and the team will want to believe but I will say that I talked um, to Sean Pendergast who is covers the the Texans and he pointed out rightly like who has more to lose in in the, in that battle is it ultimately Rappaport put his neck out there and said the Broncos wanted this they were still in touch and all Schefter is saying is, no, nah, that wasn't the case. Like, Rappaport has a, a lot more to, to lose in that instance if he's incorrect. Yeah. And ultimately, the Broncos have put out a flyer. Look, pe- people should know how, and I, I wish there was more kind of media training done for for fans writ large, because it's not. this isn't just an NFL phenomenon. This is a sports media phenomenon. And I remember... 
um, Richard Kurt, who is a, a journalist and was very involved in the United, um, the Red Issue fanzine um, back when that was a thing. And I remember Richard saying years ago, I saw him speak and he said, never believe anything anyone in sports says publicly, whether it is a player, an agent, a manager, an owner, because it all has an agenda. It's all feeding into something. So, yeah, I, I would be very skeptical on, on anything I see in relation to that. And I think what you're what in relation to the GM, there's a bit of power there, right? Because Sean Payton has a lot of power. We know that he worked in a particular way with Mickey Loomis. And if it was D'Amico Ryan's, you know, he wasn't going to command that level of power. So there are these power struggles that go on and people have their favorite journalists who they leak stuff <laughs> to. I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And I was reading something yesterday, I was talking about the Saints. Um, it was more for their search for a quarterback. And it mentioned in the article that uh, their current GM now only has two years left on his deal as well. And obviously there's two years left on Russell Wilson's deal in terms of when you can cut him um and then you've got the fact that Sean Payton might like to have his own guy upstairs so yeah I did find that I did find that interesting but um yeah we'll see I would say hopefully the Broncos are better next year but as you know as a Chiefs fan I'm not sure I can uh, cheer for that but I think that Russ will be way better I think we're gonna have the same issue with um Nathaniel Hackett being hired in in New York but maybe we'll touch on that a little bit later I I I don't know if will Russ be better than he was yeah he probably will be better than he was but like how how good can Russ can Russ ever again be elite? Like I think a lot of people, it depends on on how much you've been watching. A lot of people have kind of looked at last year and gone, "Oh, that was a complete blip from Russ," and it wasn't blip. I mean, there has Got been a decline. Yeah. There has been a decline over a number of years. I was fortunate enough to talk to Kevin Cole during the week, and he's a guy who's kind of plotted out Russ's career. And 2018, 2019 were the high points. And it's been declined since then. The first half of 2020 was great. But ever since then, a steady decline. So it's very easy for people to go, oh, Sean Payton is going to fix Russ. We'll see. Could he? Absolutely. Russ has had great years in the past. But um, you're talking about a situation where he's got to turn around multiple years. I, I don't know. I'm not completely sold that it can be fixed, I suppose, is what I'm saying. I want it to be as a Broncos <laughs> fan, yeah. but I'm not I'm not totally sold that it can be. Yeah, I think with him, you're looking at more of can he fix the offense rather than can he fix the quarterback. I think the run game wasn't great, especially in the second half of the season, uh, down there at the bottom of EPA per play. And I just think he's going to improve the run game. He's going to improve the fourth down decision makings. His game management's going to be better. And obviously, he knows how to build a roster because like you rightfully said, he had a lot of control in New Orleans. I know they probably picked players too high. They spent a lot of money on draft picks in terms of moving people around. Look at that Olave trade that they did just after he left. Um, but yeah, I think he's going to improve the offense. Can he make Russ as good as he was in Seattle? Probably not. But I do think he'll be a lot better than last year. Because last year was probably one of the worst I've seen him play. Um, especially in terms of making decisions. He was always a quarterback that it's kind of boom or bust, but the bust for him was kind of check downs and kind of like throw out of bounds or Pete Carroll calling runs on third and 10. Whereas I think last year, maybe he got a little bit too much control and we saw a lot of those third down plays, even against the Chiefs where he was throwing it into double coverage and causing problems. But yeah, I love Sean Payton. I wanted him to be the next Chiefs coach whenever Andy steps away. So I'm jealous that he's of the Broncos, but yeah, we'll see. Um, let's kind of move back and talk about the season we've just had then. Um, in terms of your takeaways from this season, have you enjoyed the season? I think it was very 
different for me in terms of how it was covered. I think there's a lot of talk about there's no good teams. And then we got to the end of the season and everyone was like, okay, there's loads, there's like six good teams now. Um, and I think for me, the bad teams weren't as bad as they'd probably been in the past. So what were your kind of general takeaways from a, an exciting NFL season? Yeah, it, it was exciting, but in a different way. Like, I think ultimately what you're seeing is the the impact of Vic Fangio in, in many ways over the past yep. few years, even though he himself was out of the league. But the whole cover to the, the way in which the league ultimately, this is all about a response almost to Patrick Mahomes, right? And, and the emergence of, um, you know, Q, QBs and the way in which the league wanted to make life really easier for QBs, but also... You know, like, again, I mean, I, I kind of go back to the way in which the game constantly evolves and, and players constantly evolve. So it's almost it's unfair in some ways to compare. But like if you look at, say, escape, um, escape to victory, right? Some mm -hmm. of the, the skills that they were like recording players doing are so like more mundane now right but at the time people were wowed by it and, and it's a little bit the same in terms of um qb play because la previously like what defenders were able to do how you could shut down a qb the league made it a, a little a, you know much easier um which isn't to say the qbs weren't gifted of course they are look mahomes would any any era you put Patrick mahomes in he'd be phenomenal but Big fans, you'll kind of create a system, contain it, put a shell on it, take away the deep ball and force um, teams to basically go down the field in 17, 18 plays rather than eight or nine plays. And the hope is that ultimately they're they're You know, you're able to shut them down. They make a mistake. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that's it's all percentages. But to me, I suppose it's like it takes away you think about this season what were the really memorable say moments the, the absolute spectacular moments and you think the jefferson catch and there were a few others but it, i don't think it it was a highlight real year it had some some good games it had some good plays um but ultimately like mahomes is going to win mvp right and rightly so mm -hmm. was it was it truly, was it like, did we see Mahomes at the, like, in terms of what we have seen him do in the past? The reason he's going to win it is he's adapted his game and, and, and he has said, okay, that's what you're going to do. Well, here's my response to your response and he will rightly win it. But I don't think you're looking at it going, well, Patrick Mahomes needed, like, made this absolutely spectacular play like we have seen in the past. So it was it was kind of a weird year. And I think parity was the, the word that we kept hearing throughout. And I think that was the the case. Uh, but yeah, ultimately, we probably did end up with the best four in the, the championship games. And we probably did end up with the best uh, two in the, the Super Bowl. But the other thing that stands out and that I wonder, you know, will it have a lasting impact? And I hope it does is the league and maybe the media writ large taking concussions a bit more seriously because yeah. it was so visible this year. And so um, I think Judy Batista had a report um, either yesterday or the day before saying like the number of injuries was down across the league by almost 6% in comparison to the previous year, but concussions were way up. And I think the concussion being way up is because it's being spotted more. Um, you obviously have the spotter, um, but once that Tua stuff happened and 
remember when it was a back spasm and, yeah. and people were just like just don't don't lie to us like that you know yeah. that's that's ridiculous um and, and i wonder you know are we going to see um that be a factor in years to come yeah i would agree and what kind of stood out for me most on the concussion thing was i think it was maybe the day after the championship games that it got announced that Tua was pulling out of the pro bowl because he was still in concussion protocol. And when I read that, I was like, oh my God. And I looked at the timeline. I can't remember how many days it was now, but it was a long, it was the most anyone's ever been in concussion by double uh, in terms of the actual protocol. So that was the first kind of sign to me where I thought, okay, not only are we spotting things quicker, we're actually as a league, maybe listening to the rules a little bit more. And I think the, my only worry is, is that because the dolphins nearly got caught out because they claimed it was a back issue. And then four days later, or maybe five days later, he got hit again and it was another concussion. So maybe it's only the Dolphins being the Dolphins because they have to be super cautious, but I hope that's not the case. I hope it's every team because I've never seen anyone be in a concussion protocol as long as him. And obviously if he's still failing tests, he still has symptoms, then rightfully so. But you would have seen maybe two seasons ago, people lying on the test, people not self-reporting because I think he he self-reported these symptoms as well. He didn't get diagnosed in-game. So yeah, I hope that's a change. We're going to see it in the Super Bowl because the Jerry Sneed had a concussion against um, Cincinnati. He, when Mahomes had a concussion two years ago, he was back on practice by the Wednesday. I know they said it wasn't actual concussion, but he was in out of the testing by Wednesday, whereas Legere Sneed's still in the protocol as of today, which is obviously we recorded on Sunday and it's a week later. So yeah, for me, I think that's a big thing. Um, we'll talk maybe about next season, maybe two as a factor, but yeah, I hope that next season that we continue identifying them a lot better. Because um, I don't think the actual number of concussions have gone up. I think hits are probably down in the league. I just think we're just being more honest and, and open as a league. Um, my other couple of points I had for last season was, one, I think teams and fans are getting used to the idea of running the ball more. I am someone who I work in analytics for in, in a different sport. So I don't think we should run the ball more because it's not as efficient as passing. But this year, when you play two high structures all the time, I think it was something like 10 of the top 20 offences in the league all ran it better than they threw it. Um, and before that was like two. It was basically the 49ers last year. And I think it was the Ravens last year. Whereas this year, that's not the case. So for me, I think running the ball is taking a big, big uptick. We'll see what that does in the draft. Bijan Robinson's a very, very good running back. Are we going to see a top 10, top 15 running back? I don't think I'd have said that two years ago, but we could see it this year. And then my other point was, I think you're right in terms of maybe not as many highlight plays by great players, but I think we saw more crazy games than we've ever seen I think the Vikings comeback one just really does stand out to me. And uh, yeah, I think that's kind of what I take away. I was like, oh, some of these bad teams, like the Fields games, the Bears were losing every week and he was rushing for like 160 yards. So even the worst teams in the league, I think, had highlights. So yeah, there were some more takeaways for, for me. The, the point about rushing, yeah, I, I would absolutely agree. It's, it's certainly a, a much bigger factor in the league now. And I do think that's a result of cover the cover two and um, I, as what we were talking about. What was really interesting, though, was there were only three rushers who went over 1,500 yards and none of their teams made the playoffs. So it goes yeah. back to the point that you say, like, um, it, it is not nearly as efficient as, as passing. And so that that is how do you, how do you get the balance right on that? I think is what teams probably need to to figure out. Now there will be a response to the the Vic Fangio defense. The, like offenses will find ways, and offensive coordinators will come up 
uh, with ways to to beat it and and we will get back to at some point whether it is next year or the year after the, the big splash plays again and then there will be a response to to that um but yeah it was it was very interesting to to me to see um you know the the, the way in which running kind of became much more popular all of a sudden again <laughs> um th- this year yeah, even the NFC playoff showed that the last the last four teams, at least in the NFC, you're just there like how, how well they can run the ball. AFC is a little bit different, I guess, with those quarterbacks, but the NFC was very much. Um, my only last point on the season as a whole would say I was slightly disappointed with the playoffs. Obviously, I'm extremely happy that my team's there, but I would argue that the week maybe 13 to 17 in the regular season were actually probably more enjoyable. We had those games like the Bengals had to beat the Chiefs. They did. Um, obviously, I know we had the, the sad DeMar Hamlin game, but we had plenty of games where the 49ers looked good towards the end of the season. Eagles-Cowboys was one of the games of the year. Whereas I think in the playoffs, we've seen at the start, we saw teams nearly get blown out. And that was exciting in the first weekend. And then I think after that, it was a case of, oh, right, we've got the best teams in every round. So these should be the best games. And then I do feel like the game's kind of, maybe the Chiefs-Bengals game people enjoyed as neutrals, but I'd still say the quality of the playoffs was a lot lower and I think you could see teams maybe trying to just control the game a little bit more rather than go out and win games and um yeah I'd noticed that I think the playoffs weren't quite as high powered as they were maybe last season yeah I, I would I would agree with you on that you know even that say that Chiefs Jags game like mm. the, notionally seven points in it but that never ever really felt like a, a close game it was kind of like the Chiefs never got out of third gear that's yeah. certainly how how it felt to me the, the Bengals Bills playoff game massively disappointed because the Bengals again were so so dominant in that, and uh, look obviously then in in terms of what we saw in the last week with the the Brock Purdy injury and then the yeah. 49ers just not you know uh, like that that just ended up not being a, a game, um and and yeah the the Chiefs Bengals was was kind of a, a strange one because again it just didn't feel like there were these in big plays like some usually right a comeback involves kind of a, this enormous big play or or something happening that totally changes momentum and it didn't it didn't feel like that was the case it, it, it was it was kind of um much more just a, a, of a chess match and, and they did get back into it um and it was it was fascinating in its own way but i would agree it wasn't nearly as exciting as the year before no, yeah. Maybe it's that we're all kind of scarred in a good way from uh, Bill's Chiefs game where it was like 35 points and what was it, something like nine minutes or something crazy like that. But uh, yeah, I think part of that is like you said with the defences and we're seeing a lot more DCs as well get head coaching jobs now. So maybe the league's just taking, taking a little bit of a turn back. Um, what about your view in terms of covering the league? Obviously, you're part of the Irish NFL show, I'd say probably from our area of the world it's probably either the most popular kind of most well-known show in terms of nfl stuff done by the fans rather than maybe done by big corporations um how have you found covering the leagues obviously you've had to talk about things maybe you never thought you'd talk about with demar hamlin um i know you guys had a change as well where you went from like four of you that that i'd known kind of watching down to three like how has this year gone for you guys in terms of just covering the nfl yeah it's it's um interesting right to to kind of to to cover the entirety of the the league as a as a fan but as somebody who's been watching football i suppose since the the late 80s it's it's a lot a lot of fun um and to the the beauty of of it is 
you get to to give a, a fan's perspective on it. Okay, I think it's very it's very tough for the because clubs and our teams or franchises, whatever term you want to use, want to exert so much control on the media. Yeah. And and you know, um they like Alex Ferguson almost seems quaint, right? When when you see the way in which uh, some of the LFL teams and the way in which you kind of get locked out and you don't get that inside access, which is um kind of so important. Um the the other thing I suppose is, you know, for us it's um, it's a lot of like there, there are different aspects to it so the x's and o's are, are one part but a lot of it is the opportunity to just kind of talk to former players and coaches about some of the stories mm. um, and that that's a, a big factor in it um, but it, it is like it has become such a year-round event like when you think back to how it used to be and you don't even you don't have to go back that far you're only going back like a, a decade um, possibly um, less for like essentially it kicked off in September it ended at the end of January and that was it right and then you heard bits and pieces about maybe the the draft particularly yeah. the top 10 and that that was kind of that was kind of it um, and now the league has done a phenomenal job about like the publicity of it and the fact that it is truly year-round you go from um, you know, next week, the Super Bowl, you go into free agency. There are going to be all the stories. There's going to be um, the, the combine and, and the draft. And, and then over the, the summer, there'll still be all the talking points from training camp. So it, it's a little, it's very different, I think, as you know, like covering the, it from this side of the Atlantic is always going to be different from kind of having boots on the ground. So I think it's it's important you recognize that and you approach it in a, a slightly different way. Um, and I think, again, it, it's probably about um, utilizing the, the skills that, that you have. Um, and that that's where we've been very fortunate that everyone kind of brings something um, different to the table. And so, yeah, we, we ended up having a, a, a kind of a change um, th this year. But what I suppose we we did was there were a couple of, of new people who joined one of them as as hosts so it meant that rather than kind of that ev everyone being involved there was kind of a, a host acting as um to to draw things out and to pick out particular themes so it probably uh changed a little bit but it worked uh hopefully um it worked quite well and and people are uh, enjoying it nonetheless yeah, and you got to go cover your own team as well in London, which was probably a like a special moment for you personally, and obviously Michael as well. I know who who did that as well. Yeah, I know absolutely, and um, we we got phenomenal access there, and were able to to talk to to the players and stuff. And I will say that as somebody who had been at the the last time the Broncos had come over, where they just you know didn't want to be there and then there was spygate part two and mm. josh mcdaniels and, and all that sort of stuff this uh this was much better um and and we helped to spark the trevor lawrence revival uh, as well he talks about that how uh he, he after that game like he you know he so he should probably buy justin simmons a, a pint after that but i do think like you you the growth of the game internationally is something that is only going to continue yeah. and 
like once they appointed Brett Gosper, that to me told me how serious they were. Gosper was head of world rugby, had done a phenomenal job of growing uh, rugby's popularity, uh, you know, here, like the way in which, again, the Six Nations has become yeah. so much bigger than it was. Um, and that like we had like like people were celebrating the return of the Six Nations like Christmas yesterday, I can tell yeah. you. And and I think that's what the NFL got, right? And then um they Henry Hodgson has come back into the UK, very, very smart guy. You now have people kind of in different positions across uh the, the world. I have I've no doubt and got the opportunity to talk to Peter King, um, who who you know is talking about it as well and he's pretty well connected into the league offices the number of games in europe is going to grow and, and we've talked to uh, henry and uh, he talks about that as well i think you're going to see a game in paris i think you're going to see a game in madrid we obviously would love to see a, a game in dublin uh, yeah. but I, I think that's inevitable i think you'll also probably see a, a game in rio at some point i um i i Will we see games in Australia? Will we see um, games elsewhere? But there's a real effort and a recognition that it it needs to grow. And it kind of goes back to the way in which the league were very, learned very early on to lean into social media. Okay, so whatever happened, you were able to share it with people, right? So if there is something that happens, I can WhatsApp, I can put that into a WhatsApp group and everyone can respond. Mm. If that happens in the Premier League, now the Premier League are beginning to learn, but previously you'd put it into the WhatsApp group and two minutes later, somebody would be like, oh, that link is gone. Copyright, <laughs> can't Might see. Might get what arrested if what, I watch what that. happened? Um, <laughs> you know, so it didn't allow to people to share and have a kind of a communal experience whereas the nfl probably because tailgating maybe is such a, a big part of it um and um teams can almost make money from um getting fans into the car parks whereas uh, it's a bit different obviously the the football culture so maybe that maybe that played a role if i'm being somewhat cynical but i do think you're seeing the fact that like the chiefs have a phenomenal like arrowhead arrowhead abroad and like yeah. that community and you're, you're seeing it as well in ireland like the the ability to come together with um fans of uh, other fans of your team or fans of opposing teams and just to kind of share what what's going on it does mean that it is a communal experience yeah and unfortunately for the people from mexico obviously their stadiums being redone this summer so it's not going to be done till january february probably next year so we're gonna have an extra germany game and they've gone with pats and chiefs and i do think that's going to kick things off to another level just because we all know patriots are one of the most supported teams in the world because of the success we know we know in teams are good that they tend to get more and more fans um, and the Chiefs have always been really well supported in Germany. I know a lot of the Arrowheads board guys are linked to Germany fan accounts. They went to the Super Bowl in Miami together. Uh, some of them are meeting up for this Super Bowl. Um, so yeah, I do think those Germany games are just going to take things to another level and obviously another city as well because one's in Frankfurt, isn't it? So it just adds another location. Yeah, and I, like what was interesting was I think people were surprised that like Germany was so big, but they don't realize like the Germany's had semi pro leagues that regularly track 10, 20,000 people in the summer. Right. Yeah. Again, obviously like NFL Europe was huge, but 
that has continued. Like I know that there have been plenty of players from Ireland who've gone over during the summer months to participate in those summer leagues and talk about the fan experience and the, how passionate it is. So I can't say I was shocked. And, and, and we, but when we have talked to people from the States, they've been like, oh my goodness, I never knew there were these, these number of fans. <laughs> it's just like, oh, the, the NFL could play five games in Germany and oh, they'd yeah. all sell out. Yeah, it's more popular than it is in the UK, like for sure. It's, the, it's probably the most popular outside of America, I would say, from, from the experiences that we've yeah, had on social media. Agree. And we're going to attempt to go over next year to cover it. Obviously, I'll be going to the Chiefs game, hopefully, regardless. So we're, we're going to try and go over and uh, go over and cover it. Um, cool. Let's take a, a look ahead then to, to next season. So I set you some uh, some homework to ask for your five biggest storylines. I'm intrigued to see where you go. Um, do you want to kick us off whatever order you want to go in? What, what are you interested in talking about for, for next season? Well, I think the, the biggest storyline, I think, is undoubtedly Lamar you know, and, and yeah. what exactly is going to happen there uh, because this is something that has been brewing for quite a while now. And it's it's interesting to, to see, you know, what um, the, the differences of opinion, right? Because like early, like early in the season when Lamar was playing, the Ravens were, were playing really well. And it was only when Lamar got injured and then didn't return that things really kind of fell off a cliff for them. And other than um, a, a bad, like a fumble, or a f- ultimately the fumble is what cost them. But the fumble then revealed kind of so much because the, the reaction to yeah. to it was, you know, you saw players have a go at Lamar, you saw players have a go at Huntley, you saw Harbaugh kind of get involved, and it just things clearly are bubbling under the surface there that you know things aren't right and there i think that's a lot of stress and pressure from the lamar situation and what are they going to get done are they going to be able to get a contract done with it are they going to is it going to be tag and trade nobody seems to know and and so when lamar is on the field he is incredible um, but obviously we have now seen the last two years where he has picked up injuries um, but the drop-off for the Ravens when he is not on the field is considerable. And I think, you know, it is, if you are, if you're the Ravens, what, what do you do? Because you, if you pay, if you pay Lamar, like what, what do you need to pay? And obviously he's looking rightly at the Deshaun Watson contract, right? And and what, what has been fascinating is that Team, like players with agents haven't have been haven't been willing to push that envelope as yet and maybe this bleeds into another point that i had on the list which was the fact that burrow herbert uh, and, and in particular and obviously jalen hurts and the, yeah. who, who knows that that could be jalen hurts with a super bowl ring yeah they're all going to be looking for extensions as well and that so if um we we're in this interesting space, I think, right now with QB contracts, where the cap has gone up, right? It's the biggest it's ever going to or has been to, to date. It's taken a significant jump. But has the Russell Wilson contract and has the Kyler Murray contract made teams a little bit gun shy? Because they are looking at it and thinking, oh my goodness, like <laughs> you can't overpay for great, okay? 
if Patrick Mahomes, I mean, as it turned out, Patrick Mahomes has a great deal for the Chiefs, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. If, if Patrick Mahomes was on 60 million a year, it'd still be a good deal, right? So you can't overpay for great, but you can absolutely overpay for good. Mm-hmm. And we have seen that kind of time and again, where second contracts in particular, and I, I'm wondering if we're going to enter an era, and I don't know whether we will, but are teams more willing to to move off of the QB if they can, if they know they can't win uh, a Super Bowl with them, right? Yeah. So if you know that your QB is not going to elevate your team, do you say, well, well, why are we pouring 50 or 60 million into a good but not great? And that's where I had a really interesting conversation with Kevin Cole, and he's a guy who wrote a piece at the time of the when Jalen Hurts was drafted and said, Jalen Hurts isn't a good pick, um, pick. He's a great pick. And his whole thing was about the process that ultimately they didn't really know what, what Wentz was at that stage. Wentz had had an MVP-like season up until he got injured. Then, um, you know, he'd had the injury, but so they didn't really know. So you go out and you make the the decision to to bring Hertz in because ultimately the, the potential is there. So if things go wrong and you want to move off, he's there and you have a guy on a rookie contract and you can put the, the pieces. Now it ended up falling almost exactly <laughs> like he kind of gave the yeah. the scenario. So it's it's interesting. But I just think that that it could be something to to keep an eye on. But equally you have to be confident enough in your your GM and your scouting that they're going to be able to identify somebody because you can have a backup. Like Huntley, in some ways, I suppose the way he, he plays is similar to Lamar, but you could see the drop-off. Yeah. So that 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 to me is is the biggest question this offseason, Lamar. Yeah, and I think some of it is about elevating others as well. So Lamar Jackson plays with I don't think anyone who even likes the Ravens would say that their wide receiver group is even anywhere near average. It's far below average. Um, Andrews was a tight end who had like that one incredible season, but his drop rate the season after was terrible this year as he had a lot of injuries himself. And when you look at it, you think, okay, right, when Lamar's in there, they're top six, seven for EPA per play, top six, seven for rush EPA per play. And their passing down the field is a lot better, I think, than people give it credit for. But the problem is you take Lamar out of it, you put a QB that plays similar to Mar in terms of the rush game, but then you look and you're like, okay, who's he throwing to? Like, it's similar to Mahomes in a way now. A lot of people are now saying, do we need an elite receiver? I'll always say that you do, but because they got rid of one and now they're going with the likes of Juju, MVS, people are saying, oh, okay, no, it's the elite QB that makes it. And then if you're the Ravens just sitting there going, okay, Lamar makes it. So we won't pick a wide receiver in the top 10. We won't go trade for John Dre Hopkins. We'll just go with what we've got. He gets injured and then the whole season goes down. So for me, I think their whole off season as a team is interesting because if I think if you go Lamar and you listen to what he's been saying on social media and you 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 keep him, I think you're going to have to invest in the wide receiver position as well. I don't think it's going to be a case of Lamar himself is going to be happy with just a great contract and me play with the same group of guys I played with. I think he's going to want that and then he's going to want that Hopkins trade. He's going to want the move up in the draft maybe to the draft Quinton Johnson from TCU. I think he's going to want something else with him. And that's just the balance in that for me. I just wonder how how they're going to balance that. I think for me, my view would be pay him. But the problem is, I would have said that a year and a half ago, you need to pay him now. 
And the, the worry then was always, oh, but he's a Russian QB. They always get hurt. And it's like, yeah, but he's hardly ever hurt. Okay, well, he's been hurt two seasons in a row now. So I think for me, whoever pays him is going to get a great quarterback. But I'm, I want it to be the Ravens because I think that he fits there really well. And I do love, um, obviously, Harbour as a coach. I think he's one of the best in the entire NFL. And I want to see Lamar Jackson do well because he's such a great person. Especially if you cover the NFL, he's a really good guy. But my worry for me is there's a too much water under the bridge as a franchise. There's a lot of rumours talking about how hurt was he. I don't believe he didn't play, but the, the fact that people are discussing that is a worry because there's either people leaking it or there's not a trust from the fan base anymore that Lamar is quite their guy. Um, and I think if they tag and then make him available for trade, I think you're going to see the Bucks. I think you're going to see the Falcons. I think you're going to see the Dolphins go really heavy. And I think it'll probably be the biggest QB trade that we're going to see. Maybe the Watson one's a little bit of an anomaly. I don't know how they got that much pick with his off-the-field situations, but they did. Um, I, but I think if the Ravens do it and they say we're going to trade him, I think Falcons are probably going to offer every first and second they can offer to, to take him. So, yeah, I think that's an interesting one. Going on to your other kind of storyline in terms of people getting paid, there's already rumours this week. I know they were kind of maybe misquoted, but there's rumours of the Bengals that they have to trade T. Higgins to be afford, to afford Joe Burrow. Then there's a piece about Joe Burrow might take less money like Tom Brady to try and keep the band together. Um, I think him and Herbert... Hurts is I'm not, not quite sure on because he's on such a cheap deal that and he seems like a very intelligent player. Maybe he is he gonna wait another year and go again just to prove and get a huge deal. I'm not sure. But um in terms of Hertz uh, Herbert and Burrow, I think they're gonna be the two highest paid players in the league. I know people think Burrow's gonna take less, but I think he's gonna take less of what he's owed, not less of what Mahomes is on or what Allen's on. So I think there's a chance those two can get paid maybe north of forty, fifty million, which would be crazy uh, if you look at past contracts 10 years ago. Yeah, well, I, I think what's interesting is probably like when Brady took less money, there was there was an, almost an agreement with Robert Kraft and with Belichick that as a result, they would do everything they could to try to win every year. And you would, if you're a player, like this is where it becomes interesting and, and kind of goes back to the Lamar bit a little bit in that, the injury and, and whether he was or he wasn't but like if he wasn't 100 percent, why should he put like his body on yeah. like franchises get to make business decisions all the time and they do so and fans just row in behind them and then mm -hmm. a player makes potentially a, a business decision and he's the worst guy in the world well i, I bet you robert griffin um wishes, wishes he had made a business decision rather than playing with a knee brace for um, Mike Shannon and Washington at that time. Mm -hmm. So I think, t you know, players need to make and should be allowed to make business decisions. I think taking a less money in some ways makes sense, but only if you can guarantee that the owners and the team will put that to the best use. Then fair enough. And in fairness to the Chiefs, they have done that, right? They've gone out and they've looked to, yeah, they had to move on from Hill. Um, but like, wasn't there a, a situation last year where the Chiefs had about like $147 in, in cash space yeah. at one point? Now they moved things around, but like that tells you, right? They, they had to move on from Hill because they just couldn't get it done. But they are trying to maximize um, the, the Mahomes window as such. So that, that is a piece I think will be interesting. And what is also interesting in relation to both Burrow and to Herbert is you are talking about two franchises that are traditionally pretty stingy. 
Yeah, and, very. Uh, that that suddenly they have to kind of pony up with the, the cash, and the, the thing that people probably need to realize is that guaranteed money has to be put away in escrow. Yeah, like, you can't touch it. Yeah, you know you can't touch it. So, um, that's a, that can be a huge chunk. So if you are, you know, uh, Bob Walton or you're David Tepper, that's pocket change. But if you're not at that level, that can be a significant factor. So, yeah, I'm really interested to see how this plays out over the offseason. From a social media perspective, if you're scrolling through Twitter in like July and someone gets paid, what what deal is going to make people talk the most? Is it that Lamar deal, see how many gets it guaranteed? Or for me, is it the Herbert deal? Because I'm a big fan. I think Herbert's the second best fullback in the NFL. Most people disagree with me. They think Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, but... Um, I feel like because he doesn't win these playoff games and for me it's not on him but he hasn't won those games I feel like if we scroll social media and he's got 45 million a year highest paid QB guarantees of like 70-80% I don't think anyone's going to get 100% Watson style guarantees is that what's going to set the whole world alight or is it more of a like oh Lamar's finally got paid a Russian QB's got finally paid because for me I just think the Herbert discourse of like if you watch film you just obsess over Justin Herbert. But if you're someone who maybe kind of covers the league a bit more loosely and maybe you think about wins and stuff, a lot of people think Herbert's overrated. So what do you think QB-wise? Who's going to like social media up if they get paid that big dollar the most this, week, this year? That, that's a very good question, particularly because of the discourse that we have seen around Justin Herbert this season and the whole thing about like a, a social media um, QB and and all that sort of, sort of stuff. I I don't think he has been been helped at all by the Chargers. I'm I'm not a particularly big fan of any of their weapons. I I don't think Mike Williams is WR one. I, mm-hmm. I just don't. I don't think there's a tight end there, and I think the coordinators haven't been good either. And if you go back and take say take a look at Matthew Stafford, um. And when he was with the Lions and he had this, he, you know, he does, he has this incredible arm. But Matthew Stafford under Lombardi and under um, Jim Bob Cooter was like absolutely basement dwelling in terms of depth per target. Yeah. And then they get Bevel in and he goes to second in, in the league. So the offensive coordinator can be really good. Now I am interested. I, I really liked Herbert's, um, first couple of years and this year he played hurt but i want to see now right with kellen moore who is a guy who's willing to push the ball down the field wants his players to push down the, the field a bit more this is a huge year for herbert i think in terms of is herbert himself a conservative or has it been um the the oc and i think that that to me will be telling can they give him some some more weapons because ultimately if you have nobody to to throw to because they're just not quick enough to get open then well for yeah. the ball down the field there's not going to be anybody there so that that will be interesting i i think the the lamar thing will probably just because the chargers are the the chargers and you know they're just they they're to, well to me they're so spursy um but they are they're not a big me. They're not a big team, right? In the, in the league, realistically. I I mean, I think they have some nice players, but they don't fill that stadium. And will they remain in LA? Whereas the the Ravens, the fact that they're on the East Coast, Baltimore, they they're a much bigger name, and and that's why I think the Lamar thing will be a bigger story, whichever way that tends to go. 
yeah, Lamar, everyone, there's a Herbert discourse, but Lamar is very, very well loved across the league, especially by young kids. He, on social media, again, he is someone that just goes viral every time because of that season where he was doing like spins into Bengal secondaries and running for 60 yards. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Okay, cool. So that's two two storylines there. What's your, the next one you've got? The the net well the next one I suppose is and you touched on this when you mentioned a couple of the teams the NFC South mm. has has there ever been a division <laughs> where all four teams need a QB? I'd, Probably I not. No. no, but but that is the situation that you know this division finds itself in. No, none of them had a winning record last year, and it it just feels like it is obviously you've got kind of so much transition with with Brady moving on um with Frank Reich now coming in to to the Panthers and I think I um I I felt Steve Wilkes got treated unfairly uh to to me but when Peter King said that like it was a real miscommunication in terms of what David Tepper said publicly and what Wilkes apparently apparently knew he was never getting that job he was never in serious consideration for the job and that's why he released the statement that he did yeah. whereas Tepper had kind of said oh well if, if he is a good end of the season you know he might well get it. and I, I don't see how having won six games more than Cliff Kingsbury who replaced him in uh, Arizona and that was done having gone through three QBs your best player gets traded away and one of your better at the t- in for the Panthers one of their better receivers forces his way out and he still manages to win six games but apparently they they were always going to to look to to move on it will be interesting to see how Reich does the Saints you know are well they've now moved on truly from the Sean Payton era and the Falcons like you know, they, I, I just, I don't know exactly who they are under Arthur Smith. Um, and he got touchy at times last year. I like some of the things that they do. And at other times I'm just left kind of scratching my head at some of the, the decisions. So I think the NFC South, it has to be one of the stories because they, some, they have to go out and get Q, QBs, right? Um, yeah. It's interesting because you have the, a box team who, were so irrelevant for so long. I like I remember reading a piece um about the a decade of decay under the Glazers ownership and then Tom Brady came in and changed everything. But Brady's gone now, so what does it mean for them? I, I just think I, I don't know how any of them are going to solve because it's not like you know there are it's a great draft for QBs. Um it's it's not like there are Unless Lamar becomes available, we'll see what happens with Aaron Rodgers. Though I think everyone's tired of that, but it's not like there yeah. were an abundance of available QBs there either. No, yeah, they're going to be living in the Jimmy G, Derek Carr areas of the world. It probably feels like, and I think the most interesting part about that division is that the, the the four teams are split in a clear two and two for me. So Carolina, very, very young team. They've actually probably got more talent than I think maybe the average fan who watches their own team but doesn't really care about the rest of the league knows about. On defense, they've got some very, very good players. DJ Moore, incredible wide receiver who's often underrated. The Falcons, they're not in the same position, but they've had high, high draft picks. You've got Carl Pitts, who's great. Drake London was great. AJ Terrell's great. But then the rest of the roster is kind of much of a muchness. And 
for me, I think that's a head coach there that probably needs to get seven or eight wins this year or else he's going to be banging, banging trouble. But the other two teams are very, very old. The Bucks, one of the oldest teams in the league. They've got two starting corners hitting free agency this year. Um, I know Tom Brady saved them like 25 million, didn't he, by, by retiring on the cap, which is going to help. Uh, and then the Saints are the Saints. <laughs> they go all in every year. Andy Dalton had like, weirdly, in terms of advanced analytics, had his best career uh, year in like seven or eight seasons. But is he the answer? I think we all know the answer is no. They've got players like Tyron Matthew, who's definitely getting on a bit, paid him a lot of money. Um, obviously, Michael Thomas might get traded. So for me, I think that the whole division is in flux. And I don't know what they're going to do, but I do feel like one of those two teams, Bucks or the Saints, and my money will always probably be on the Saints, will try again to go all in. They will try and find whatever deal that is, whatever QB they think that is, whatever player they think that is. And I think we could see one of those two teams go go all in. I know a lot of Bucks people are starting to do the whole Lamar Jackson in Bucks uniforms. Uh, I'm not quite sure that one's going to happen. But for me, I just find them very interesting because if you're not going to go all in, you're going to rebuild. Both those teams have got a lot of players that they can trade because the average age is just so, so old. So yeah, for me, I think it's more of a case of what are they going to do with their veteran players. We know the Panthers are probably going to draft QB because that's what Frank Reich's known for. I think that's the clear way they're going. The Falcons, like Ridder, but are probably going to draft someone. But for me, it's those top two teams. Who are they going to trade and which veteran are they going to add? Because I think on paper, NFC-wise, especially with Brady and Rodgers, if they both leave, if Rodgers also leaves the, the conference, they should go all in to try and win it because there's not many good teams in the NFC. But it's a case of who do they go for and which veterans do they trade? Yeah. Um, I mean, like I suppose Tom Brady made a very calculated decision when he did leave the Patriots. He looked around, he wanted to see a team that could be competitive. And at that time, the Bucks, you know, had, were, had, I suppose, a core. Then he was able to bring in some guys. And then if you take that first draft when he came in, where they get Werfs and they get Winfield Jr., like, yeah. that's why they were the complete team. But obviously, you're talking about guys have, have aged out now. So, yeah, let's see. I think I, I just think there are so many kind of compelling storylines in that division that it is one of the things that we need to keep an eye on in this offseason. Yeah, and the Saints managed to salvage a first-round pick again. So who knows where they'll send that. They'll probably send that somewhere. Um, cool. After the uh, NFC South, what's your, your next one? The Jets. Mm. I mean... Like, and Rodgers. <laughs> but you would have to think that they, there is an inclination, given that you have given Nathaniel Hackett the OC job, right? And you've really got to go back. You've got, you've got to go all the way back to his time in Jacksonville to find a time where he was successful as an OC calling plays. Because mm -hmm. it wasn't last year in, in Denver where he was calling plays and that was a, no. an unmitigated disaster. And he wasn't calling the plays in um, up, in Lambo, in, up in Lambo for the Packers. So I think that, that it's also the fact that like if they don't, if they don't get Rodgers, okay, and what what do they do? I I don't believe anybody believes in Zach Wilson. They're not, you just can't like it's not it's yeah. not there. He doesn't have it. You've got to move on. But let's say let's just say they they get Derek Carr, okay, rather than Aaron Rodgers, and they get off to a bad start, and they're in their fourth game, right? And they're one and two, and now they're down down bad right 
Are you telling me the fans aren't going to be calling for Hackett's head at that point? I mean, it is an enormous roll of the dice to me to get Hackett if you don't know the Rodgers thing is, is going to happen um, because he is so tainted from what happened in Denver that fans are going to be mutinous unless it starts really quickly. And that's why, I mean, kudos to him in ways in terms of like being willing to get so into the fray so quickly because mm-hmm. the the potential for this generally kind of people take uh, more circuitous route uh, yeah. back into maybe a, a very visible kind of coordinator role. So I, I think for that reason, because you've got Hackett, got the Rogers rumors and you got the fact that the number two overall pick in the draft is a disaster. And by all accounts, I mean, well, by a lot of accounts, and whether this is team spinning, like he's working hard. But to me, like Albert Breer had a story about how Zach was working really hard. And I don't know if you heard that about Aaron Rodgers. He was talking to Rodgers and Rodgers was like, oh, you're still that close. Like, yeah. That, that was terrifying to me. That was similar to, and this is where I worry for the Jets, to the stories about Hackett and the Broncos offensive staff sleeping in the building. Guys, if you're spending this much time at it and it looks this bad, you're the problem. Yeah. And so if Zach Wilson is working this hard and it's still this bad, it's a, it's game over. It's time to move on. You're, you're not it in the NFL. Yeah, and I agree. And I think one of the issues they're going to have, and this is more probably of a salary issue rather than a franchise issue, but he supported him quite a lot. And I, I think fair play, a lot of coaches wouldn't do that. They'd throw a 20, whatever he is, 21, 22-year-old kid under the bus. But it's getting to the point now where Salah talks about it so much and is so supportive, but yet every other player in the dressing room clearly isn't supportive of it. That I think he's in at risk of losing himself in the role as well. And obviously he, he was close friends with the OC, Lafleur that they fired. He then joins the Rams. And obviously he's probably he's not going to call plays in the Rams. But what happens if we're in week 10 and the Rams are 8-2 and two with the best offense in the league? I know that is McVeigh. Everyone knows that's McVeigh. That's not the story that Jets media in New York are going to be pushing. They're going to be talking about their failed OC, who's now leading the best the league, uh, best team in the league or whatever. And then their OC is now Hackett, who had a disastrous time. And I think the Hackett stuff, apparently a very, very, very good QB coach, but he's not even had a top 15 offense by EPA per play or DVOA ever that he's called play. So even the Jags year, I know they were good as a team. But that was the best, one of the best defenses we've ever seen, uh, or at least I've ever seen since I've been watching the league. So, um, yeah, for me, I thought that was a strange hire. And I just think what it does, it just puts pressure on Salah for me because the GM, Douglas, had two incredible drafts in a row last year. I know maybe hasn't quite worked out as well for the edge rusher, but obviously taking Sauce, taking Garrett Wilson, Elijah Vera Tucker the year before is a good guard. I think his job's completely safe. So I think if you then hire Hackett, the offense is bad. Maybe it's Derek Carr. You pull Derek Carr in week six, put Zach Wilson in, and it's just as bad. And you're the head coach who's gone. Zach Wilson can do it. He's gonna. He just needs a break. I think that's it for your time as a head coach, probably in the league. I know you, often you get a second go at it, but um, it's a lot less common for guys as young as Salah to get a second go rather than maybe someone who's been in the league for, for 20, 30 years. So, yeah, I agree. I think of the Jets. Um, I don't think they do trade for Rodgers either. I think they think they do, but... I think the Raiders, there's a lot of smoke about the Raiders now. And obviously his best friend is, or one of his best friends is Devontae Adams. I know they're talking about it a lot of this golf event. You never really know what to believe of Aaron Rodgers. But for someone who I know he, he likes to kind of control the media and he does love talking, he definitely doesn't like being like 
the media being the ones to do the narratives. He wants to be the one controlling the narratives. You can't do that in New York. So I'm not quite sure where he ends up, but I bet Raiders before I bet Jets. Look how touchy he got about the Kalen Kaler piece, which, <laughs> yeah. what, why, like, all, all that said was Aaron has hand signals because he's worried. Like you got to learn them. They changed them a lot because they're worried about like guys moving to other rosters or teams learning what he does. And that's what that piece said. It wasn't super critical of Rogers. It just said like, it can be difficult for rookies and maybe the rookies are struggling a bit more this year because there aren't as many vets around to teach them this. Mm-hmm. And Rogers lost his mind. Like, yeah, he, he absolutely went. And, and Pat McAfee, rode in behind him um which to me was just silly because i i didn't i thought that was a very fair piece look there there's plenty of pieces that come out in the media all the time that you can rightly think that's really unfair and you're having a go at me and you've taken that out of context i didn't think this was it no no yeah i agree uh, that whole shit i actually quite like pat mcafee but the whole section with roger specifically i think has been a disaster for rogers is kind of maybe image a little bit and maybe McAfee's image with the respected people around the league I know obviously on the views are incredible and he probably makes more money from it because Rogers is on there but when you listen to some of the people that like do journalism a lot like Peter King for example when he spoke about it on his podcast it was more like I just can't believe they even aired that conversation when that he's basically saying on oh, there's no one to quote in that story he's like I oh, just made it up and like the guy in the story basically quotes one of your old wide receivers for a long time and I think I don't know if it's joke that it ended up being James Jones or not but Ended up being a very well-known figure by all by all accounts. And uh, yeah, I think Rogers is difficult for that. And then you've got him on the golf course on Saturday, going to hit a ball, and then he's doing the whole San Francisco, nah, I'm not going to San France. But then if he ends up at San Fran now, that wouldn't surprise me at all because he's just trying to control that media. But yeah, for me, if I was the Jets fans, I wouldn't know what I'd want because they've just not had a QB for a long, long time. So if someone said to me, I can have a two-time MVP, I still think Aaron Rodgers is top 10 in the league personally. If I'm a Jets fan, I probably think he's top five in the league just because I'd have a little bit of bias in my head. So, um, yeah, I don't know what if I do as a fan, but if I'm the Jets organization, I probably would would stay away. Um, they're pick 13 in the draft as well. So that's in a range where they can go again if they want and draft another QB. But not many head coaches and GMs get a chance to draft two top five QBs and, and live through it. So, yeah. We'll see. Uh, New York teams are always talks of the offseason, it feels like. Always, uh, always. Um, that's four then. What is your uh, last storyline? The final one is, um, and, and it's one that's been kind of discussed over the last uh, number of weeks, but ultimately it comes down to who, who who ends up picking number one overall and and what do they do, right? And that, that's where I think, you know, a lot of people will say, well, the Bears have Justin Fields. but And I, I'm somebody who likes Fields, right? And I actually yeah, think... Fields hasn't been given a fair shot. Um, and I think the the line is a huge issue. The the non-existent receivers are, are a huge issue. But I, I'm also thinking of that piece that I referred to earlier about the Eagles taking Jalen Hurts and having that. Like, are we sure that Fields is the guy? I, I'm not I'm not sold. Like I I like Fields. I think there is an awful lot to to like and I I would love to see him given the opportunity. But I think the Bears messed up the first two years so badly that now that they have the number one overall, like do you go in and 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 take a, a QB or or do you try to get a hole and then you take a QB later? I just 
think that also for me, right, Patrick Mahomes is the exception to sitting a QB. And because he got taken in such a different scenario, right? Because the Chiefs already had Alex Smith. They went up to get Mahomes. Start your rookie QBs, right? The clock starts ticking on that contract as soon as you take them. Mm-hmm. What is to be gained by them playing? The Steelers might have made the playoffs if they played Kenny Pickett from, from the off this year. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. You've got to take your licks early um, and, and, and get used to, to playing. And ultimately, I just don't see the benefit of seeing them. So I'm intrigued to see because I think the Bears, I think the, the notion that there's absolutely no way they should take a QB is misguided. I think if they get a, an, an enormous haul from somebody now, that makes it more interesting. And I think that's where questions are asked, right? Because the Colts have to find a QB. Yeah, that's the team everyone's talking about, isn't it? Right. And 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 then you've got the, the Texans and Jaws. Like, yes, ultimately, I think in this, you've got two kind of QBs in the in the top tier. But ultimately, right, in CJ Stroud and, and, and uh, in Bryce. But ultimately, there's questions, right? Because of Bryce's size, like, yeah. His size is unprecedented at this level. And while Kyler and Russell Wilson have never talked really about size being an issue, in fairness, Tua did. Tua was very open this, this year about like, um, I say to receivers, if you can't see me, I can't see you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but Tua would be bigger than Bryce. So that that I you know how and there there's maybe another story like well that's more of a season storyline how is Bryce Young gonna be in in the league but like if if you are if that's a concern and you're you want CJ Stroud like you've got to go up right and you potentially have to get up against the above the the Texans and for the Texans um they they've got to think well if the Colts are going to go up and we're really only in love with CJ do we need to to do something so I, I think that number one draft pick is really interesting because I, I think it can go any which way. I, I, and I just think anyone who tells you that the Bears definitely shouldn't take a QB is somewhat misguided because how how frequently are you going to be drafting um, number one overall? And I, I maybe I'm maybe I'm somewhat biased in this in. I have seen my my team refuse to draft, right? They've never taken a QB in the top 10. And yet, and yet our our um most successful QBs ever were the number one pick, acquired in different ways, right? Because LOA didn't want to play um for for the 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 Colts given everything that kind of their their move and everyone knew what was kind of going on. And then Peyton Manning's injury. Well, Peyton Manning and, and John Elwood were both number one overall. So the Broncos really should know like, <laughs> the value of, of getting a QB early. Um, so that's what I mean. How often do you get to pick number one? It's it's a big, big consideration, uh, I think, especially in an era where getting a QB on a cost-controlled contract is so rare. And like again, that's what makes Patrick Mahomes such an outlier. Right, mm-hmm. he was willing to sign a ten-year deal. Like that's again, that's unprecedented. Most Unique. of these guys, their agents are like, "You are signing a three-year deal. We're <laughs> getting you back on the market." Uh, yeah. So, I I think that to me is another storyline. What happens with the number one pick? Yeah, I think for content-wise, a trade which is just gonna light everyone up because we're gonna be able to talk about it for ages. But I know the whispers out of Chicago at the moment are 
And well, I think the thing they're trying to put out there, they still could take a defensive player number one, one overall, I think is just is completely pointless. They're spinning that line quite a lot. And if they picked a defensive player at number one, that would be one of the most stupid things that franchise can do. Because like you said, how often are you going to pick at number one? If you think Justin Fields is the guy, you're not going to pick in the top 10 again for for a long time, if that's what you think. So, um, yeah, I think that idea that they're going to take someone on defense at number one is just ridiculous. Someone's going to pay them a haul. Like you said, this year's class isn't quite as good. Uh, next year's class is really, really good. Or the top two guys are going to, would go way above the two guys in this year's class. I think Caleb Williams has a chance to be a really elite prospect, at least. Um but for me, all the rumours at the moment are Chicago are going to not take a QB. And then I guarantee you in March at some point, there'll be a brand new story that they are going to take a QB because either that'll be them telling the truth and someone leaking it or it'll be them trying to pitch it so they can get more of a more, more of a trade package. So for me, I think the Colts are there. The Panthers are there. There's a lot of talk about the Raiders, but I do feel like that ownership group want to go veteran. Kind of in Vegas, especially with Herbert and Mahomes, I don't think they want to risk going for, for a rookie. Um, but yeah, there's plenty of teams that can do it. And along the same storyline is who falls in love with Will Levis as well. Because I'm someone who does cover the draft, cover it for full 10 yards. And someone's going to fall in love with a massive quarterback with a huge arm who allegedly off the field is one of the most kind of rah-rah, great leadership, incredible in interviews. Whereas CJ Stroud's got a reputation of being maybe a little bit cool, much more relaxed. Obviously, Bryce Young... His off-field stuff is amazing, but he's going to weigh 170 pounds, which is the lightest anyone's ever weighed, probably at the Combine. Or they're going to force him to get to 200 pounds. He won't do any tests, and the whole NFL will know why he's 200 pounds. So, yeah, for me, I think it's who falls in love with Levis, because if any team trades from four or whatever to one and then takes Levis, then I think that could be a big, big regret. But who knows? We all said that with Justin Herbert as well, and look how good he's turned out. But yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, if they do go trade fields, they're going to get at least one first for him as well. You'd think, wouldn't you? I know he's not had an amazing career, but I think he showed enough. I think I I would have thought so. I think there's yeah. lots to like. I mean that that's the the piece. Like if if Fields was coming into this this year, he would probably be the number one pick. Right? Yeah, he would. Yeah. yeah. But it, it's the fact that you've wasted two years of the rookie deal. That's, yeah. that's the piece yeah. that's, the, that's the, so important here. So Different um, GM as well, the draft. The yeah, the draft different them. GM. But I, I, I would say, yeah, if I, if I was a team, like, again, like, do, does Justin Fields improve any of the team, all the teams in the NFC South? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You would be infinitely better going going that route. Um, you know, it, and and particularly for somebody like the the Saints, where that roster is aging, um, and and you're not going to get a whole lot by cutting guys, right? So you need yeah. a cost control QB. I know there was talk about Derek Carr for them, but to me, Fields would make an awful lot of, of sense potentially there, mm-hmm. um, because he all of a sudden would have a line and would have the wide receivers who he could then throw to. I just, yeah, to me, I, I would, I would be willing to take a flyer on him, yeah, in that respect. But I, as I said, the fact that you can get cost control rookie for five years, that's tempting. Definitely, definitely, it's going to be an interesting draft. It's always good when the QBs are good. Last year, we didn't get that luxury of having good QBs. Um, cool. Right, we've gone over a little bit, so we won't spend too much time on the last bit because we have got two Super Bowl shows coming. But um, you are going to Arizona. Very, very uh, jealous of that. Um, what are your plans as a podcast in terms of covering it? Have you got anything exciting? And then uh, how much are you looking forward to the game, even as a 
Chiefs rival fan, wasn't it? Um, yeah, so I, I'll be flying out tomorrow. We'll be doing stuff kind of throughout the week. Um, it, it would seem that it's back to normal th- this year in terms of kind of access. So that will be um, great to have the, uh, the opportunity. It's been a lot of fun over the past couple of years to kind of get to, to talk to, to the players virtually. And, and last year, um, there was one kind of in-person day. So it was virtual and then there was one in-person outside. So it'll be interesting this year. Um, we will have content kind of throughout. So for anyone listening, you can the Irish NFL show across social media or Google Irish NFL show. There'll be stuff on our um, website as well. And then we're going to have a live show next saturday so the the day before the the super bowl and the game itself i yeah i i think it's going to be fascinating and i think one of the the other the reason it's fascinating is the way in which the the teams match up i i say i've said this i i think we almost underestimate andy reed at times because patrick Mahomes is so good Mm -hmm. right that um reed kind of falls below the radar like you're talking about a guy who is absolutely top 10 ever yeah. head coach in the league and if yeah. he wins this you can you could be arguing top five um but because Mahomes is just so gifted we kind of forget just how good Reed is um but on the other side you are talking about like what what a job the Eagles have done in terms of turning it around making bold decisions putting a roster together and what what I find intriguing is right. Think about the success the Eagles had on um, the D line this year, right? 70 regular season sacks, second only to the 84 bears ever. Yeah. Do they have the best four D line guys in the league? No. But did they have the best eight D line guys in the league? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so they rotate. You never, ever, ever get a break against them. Think about it. They bring Sue in. I mean, he is nasty he is horrible he's in your face so as an o-line guy you're like oh look the reserve oh my oh this guy, like, <laughs> he is all over you and there's so much like knowledge and experience there they've done such a, a great job i think it's fascinating i think will others realize that because you know maybe you don't need the the best unless you have an absolute standout obviously right but kind of so much is spent on the very good but maybe what you should be looking at is like you know so you're dealing with injuries so if somebody does go down all of a sudden you bring guys in and you can rotate properly it's not going to work in every position group yeah but i mean look at what what's happened essentially to the bengals now two seasons in a row with the the o-line and and the drop off there so um yeah i i am i I think it's going to be a fantastic game I think it'll, I do think it'll be a, a very close game. Mm. Uh, I think it, it'll it'll come. There, there won't be more than a touchdown at most between these teams would be my expectation. Um, and um, you know it it will it will ultimately probably probably come down um to the that D line of the Eagles. Can they get enough pressure on um, Patrick Mahomes to impact him? The it's so difficult to do. Um, and I, I, I know the Chiefs O-line was beaten up that day, obviously against the Bucs, but that was the one time where we've seen Mahomes just like, and he was still Mahomes. Yeah, some of the throws were nuts, but yeah. Some of the throws were nuts, but all, like the positions he was in meant that like, it just yeah. was impossible. Um, but, and, and that's what I mean about the Eagles, like they get so much pressure on you. And 
it doesn't matter who's there. That's why I think this is a coin flip game. I really do. Yeah, one of the lowest spreads as well, betting wise in Super Bowl for a long time. Um, the over's been bet massively in Vegas. That's gone up to like fifty-one now. So people think it's going to be a shootout, which I probably probably agree with. And uh, yeah, it's kind of like I don't know. Uh, to summarize, it's best QB head coach combo for me in the league at the moment versus the best roster in the league. <laughs> and I know Jalen Hurts is good, very very good, but he's also hurt at the moment. You could see in that last game, couldn't you? That he struggled to throw the ball, but on the ground he was very good. So I think both QBs health is going to impact the game in some some way or form yeah no he he is undoubtedly like that shoulder isn't right um the the thing that what's interesting is i suppose in in ways is people keep writing hurts off and i think hurts leadership but like what he's been through like consider the fact like you lose your starting role in the national championship game um, you go, you go through it. In you, you end up going to the senior bowl. Your granddad dies, um, just before that. But like, you know, you you go through that. You come in, um, people doubt you every single step of of the way, and that just seems to make um the Eagles. The Eagles are also one of the teams that, and and the the the, the Chiefs are so, somewhat like everyone likes bulletin board material, but like the Eagles thrive on you not liking them. They don't particularly care. Um, and so when like there's been a lot of people come out, like I don't think the Giants are doing the Chiefs any favors. Um, I, and Brandon Ayuk was at it today. Boy, Niners, yeah. Yeah. Um, like the uh, there were uh, one of the Giants came out and was like, oh, Sirianni, like, you know, he he's um, like just just ego, no talent. That's the stuff the Eagles absolutely love. I don't know if I've ever seen a head coach as suited to a city's <laughs> culture as yeah. Nick Sirianni. And I, I say that as somebody who loves Philly. Like I was fortunate to get to spend three months there and I have it at for humanity project. I think it's a fantastic city, but it is an edgy city and it, it is a city that's in your face constantly. And Sirianni has channeled that. That's the way they play. Um, and yeah, so that's what makes this so fascinating because they they won't they're not going to be overawed by by the Chiefs and I think sometimes teams are I think that's definitely been a factor for the the Broncos time and time again um but I don't think that would be the case here but it does does Mahomes have the talent to overcome that absolutely he does yeah definitely definitely it's gonna be interesting two great O lines as well top two D lines and sacks I know sacks aren't everything but that's part of it obviously one team with a really young secondary other team with a younger wide receiver group, the other team injured wide receiver group. Uh, there's so many storylines, and also the Andy Reid Bowl as well is uh, is an exciting one for sure. Um, one last question then: When you're there and you you get to do the interviews and stuff, is there any player you've thought about already that you're like, oh, I'd like to ask this player a question, whoever it is, whether it's a star or maybe someone with a certain background? Is there any sort of players that you think, right, I want to try and get to that interview and ask him something, or coach, I guess? Jason Kelsey. I, yeah, I, yeah. I I think he'd be great crack. I think he's a man you could go out and have a a, a, <laughs> a feast of pints with, um, he and he would have any number of uh, stories. Uh, so to to me, like uh, yeah, that that's the that's the one. I, I think himself and Travis do a phenomenal podcast, and uh, yeah. it's very it's very very enjoyable. Even even as a as a a, fa- a fan of a team who are a rival of the Chiefs, I can recognize uh, Kelsey's brilliant on, on the field, but just very funny off of it. But yeah, for for one piece, it would be it'd be Kelsey, um, and and also I think 
Lane Johnson as, as a guy who's kind of been very public about some of the, the mental health struggles that he's had. Yeah. Um, and I just think that the that Eagles O-line is so impressive in terms of when Lane Johnson and Kelsey are out there, you don't know what they're going to do. Right. You really that's re, that's one of the reasons defenses have struggled against them, because they can run the ball. They can pass the ball or Hertz can take off. And that's because they are just so experienced and they know how to handle things. Um, you know, so that's um, that, that's what comes to mind. I will say um, did have the opportunity previously to talk to, to Brendan Daly. I think the job that's what's fascinating is the fact that he went to Andy Reid in the offseason and said, Andy, I'm kind of looking for a new challenge. And he got moved to the linebackers coach and the job that he has done um, and the experience he brings from the patrons. And obviously now with the Chiefs, but yeah, there's a guy who knows how to win. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, There's a lot of championship game experience as well. That, that is for sure. Um, perfect. Cool. Yeah, be exciting. I'm very jealous. If you get to ask Patrick Mahomes a question and I hear your voice on the uh, Chiefs YouTube channel when I watch the live interviews, I'll be uh, very, very jealous. But um, for anyone that doesn't already follow you guys, you want to just quickly shout out your um, your Twitter handle and stuff. If anyone wants to follow you for, to get some live action in Arizona. Yeah, absolutely. And love, like, love interacting with fans from right across the, the league. So what, whether you're a fan of the the Chiefs, the Broncos, the Eagles, or the the Lions, the the Vikes, or the Patriots really enjoy interacting with with people. Um, so you can find the Irish NFL show is at I R E N F L, and you can find me on there at Column from Cork because us Cork people think that it is the <laughs> center of the the universe. So yeah, please do reach out, connect, questions, comments. Uh, love to hear from people. Yeah, and Colm's a great follow, everyone, because we get the halftime or the first quarter, third quarter updates as well, which is always a, a favourite of mine. Um, but yeah, in terms of our coverage, we're going to have two more episodes this week, one linked with the full 10 yards group for some betting content like we did last week. And then obviously me and Patrick will be back on probably Wednesday, a little bit earlier this week to try and do a, an hour long Super Bowl preview between an Eagles and a Chiefs fan. So I wonder who we're both going to pick to win the games. Um, go follow us over at Twitter at Go2Pod, 2 be the number two. Go follow Patrick at Mugs NFL to order your Super Bowl gear. It can still come in time for the game, I'm told. Um, and thanks again, Colin. And we'll speak to you guys soon. Yeah, thanks, Liam. Really enjoyed uh, the chat today and look forward to talking to you again, hopefully in the not too distant future. Oh,